Um, I'm honored to be here and to be with you guys. Uh, I did not do any PowerPoint today. I was too intimidated by the PowerPoint skills of Brendan. Uh, so I decided, why try? And I'm just, I'm just not going to go there at all. So we're just going to interact today and just talk and have a conversation about uh, what does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord? What's, what's the next phase after last week's great message about proximity and about love and about do you want to be with Jesus and do you want to love him? So I want to start with a story. There's a, uh, I heard it this last week when I was in Chicago doing some training and someone told the story and I thought, my gosh, that's perfect. It's a perfect example of what I think the Lord wants to talk to us about today. And the story goes like this. There's a lady, her name is Dr. Temple Grandin. She is a, uh, you're nodding your head. See, that's some interaction there. I might come back to that later. And she is a um, PhD professor at Colorado, Colorado State University. Uh, she's an American doctor of animal science. She's a best-selling author. She's an activist. She's an engineer. She is a consultant to the livestock industry on animal behavior, and she has autism. And she wrote this book, Animals in Translation, and her heart, her concern for the livestock industry, where we get our food from, where we get our beef and our, cat, our, our chicken, her concern is that they are happy. She's not on the end of should you eat or should you not eat them? Her concern is, are they living a happy life? Isn't that just the sweetest thing? And she, um, her concern is that because she believes that if they are happy, then the food we eat will be of better quality. And so she started investigating this, and she started thinking about, well, how can we tell if the chickens are happy? And she started going to different chicken farms, and she started looking into what she was seeing. And she started asking the farmers about it. Well, how do you know if your chickens are happy? And they started telling her about all the regulations that come, which are good and in right and in place, all the regulations that come with keeping the chickens safe and happy so that when it comes to our table, we're getting a good quality chicken. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the food they eat, how much room they have, how many chickens can be in how much square foot of pen, um, uh, what goes into, you know, the care for them. Are they getting enough water? Are they getting sunlight? Are they getting, uh, do they have room? Da-da, da-da, da-da. You have to have this wattage of fluorescent bulb. If you don't use fluorescent bulbs, then you have to have this kind of bulb in your factory and on and on and on the regulations go to what kind of floor you have to have, what are they walking on, how often do you clean up after them, and the regulations and the rules, there were hundreds of them, all put in place for a good reason, all put in place so that we could get a good quality chicken on our table when it's time for dinner. So whether you eat chicken or don't, the, you know, the this is about being happy and being able to um, have a good environment. And when she asked, the, but then she started to notice that the chickens didn't seem happy to her. They had, um, they had stunted legs 
Like sometimes their legs would be deformed and they wouldn't have one or they might have a half a one or a half a foot. Um, for chickens that were too crowded, they, they wouldn't get enough exercise, so they'd be, their breasts would get too big, they'd be top-heavy, and they'd fall over, which sounds really awkward to say, but that's what was happening. And, um, and, she, and they were crowded, and it was dirty, and it was smelly, and she was realizing, you know, this isn't, they're not happy. And so she asked, well, why is that? Why are these chickens not happy? There's so many rules in place. Wouldn't that work? And the inspectors, she found out, were not doing their job because there were too many rules in place. There was too much to keep track of, and there was too much to um, do, too many tasks that they just were like, I can't, I can't, it's overwhelming, I can't keep up, I can't do it all. And so they start, what they were doing is they weren't counting how many chickens were in how much square footage, they weren't, you know, testing the ground they were walking on and they and they weren't doing all this and it ended up in these defective chickens that weren't happy according to Dr. Temple Grandin. So she it really puzzled her. So she went back to her colleagues and they talked about it and she said, "Well, what do we do? What do we do?" And she came down to this one thing. Instead of all the regulations and all the rules, why don't we just ask, "Can your chickens walk?" Can they walk? Because if they can walk, that means they have both legs and they're good. If they can walk, that means that they're you know, healthy in proportion. If they can walk, it means that they're not diseased with fecal matter that they've been walking in. They're being cleaned up after. They have the right ground. If they can walk, they're not deprived of light. They're getting enough light. So with one question, can they walk? She completely simplified this industry regulations. Now, I don't know how far it went and if anyone even uses it, but it was a story in that book. I'm wondering, if when it comes to discipleship, which we're talking about this month, if we have so many regulations in place that it's hindering us. It's hindering us from walking. Hindering us from fully being who Jesus has called us to be because we're so... I don't know what the right word is, in bondage, it's a pretty strong word, but I hope you translate that for you, to all the rules that we've put in place, rules that are good, rules that are helpful, but when they become too much, does it actually stifle our growth? Does it actually stop us from growing and walking fully with Jesus? Last week, Brendan talked about Love and how the proximity we are with God really matters. That if we spend our entire lifetime figuring out how much God loves us and how to love him back, it would not be a life wasted. If you spent your whole life there. Now I think the Lord calls us to more. But getting that is so important. If that's the only thing we get, it would please the Lord. I really think that. If, we, if he just knew how much, if we knew, if he knew that we knew how much he delights in us, he would be so pleased. He'd be like, I'm so glad you know how much I love you. It's just so critical. When we have that in place, it allows us to move forward. 
And this is part two of that. I think it's part two of the equation. And what we're going to look at today is Peter. And we're going to look at how does, what does that mean and what do we see in the life of Peter when it comes to regulations and moving forward and are we in bondage to too many rules or are we doing okay? So we're going to start in Matthew 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at the calling of Peter. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 is where we'll start. Matthew writes, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he taught, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Are we unhindered enough to love him and to follow him? A couple of weeks ago, Diane, um, at staff meeting, and she gave me permission to share this, she said something that just had so much weight for me. She said, am I a rule follower or am I a God follower? And she's using her own life, and this is just the place the Lord had her to reflect on that question. And I thought, what a great question. Sometimes we get caught up in what we should be. I got, I'm caught up in it often, you know, less now than before. But I remember when the Lord called me to go to seminary, and I had a whole list of why that wouldn't work. You know, why you're calling me to be a leader? I can't be a leader. I'm not polished enough. I say stupid things. Um, got a weird sense of humor. <laughs> I'm the wrong gender. I'm not trained enough. I don't know enough of scripture. You know, we all got those lists. Moses had it. I can't do this. I can't talk well. I stutter. You know, everyone, I wouldn't say that. I would think that most everyone has a list of why you can't do something. But when we walk together in community, we overcome those things together. But anyways, when Diane said that, she said, am I a rule follower or a God follower? I thought, I think that's what the Lord wants to talk to us about. I think the Lord wants to say, who are you following, your list or me? So what does God want to say to us about our discipleship journey? Have we written so many rules about it that we're stunted in our growth? Is he asking us to let go of anything that hinders him? Following Jesus is a journey, and sometimes I wonder, how are we doing? Jesus, how are we doing? You know, asking the Lord, what do you want to say to me? And then, what do you want me to do about it? That's, hopefully we get to a place where that's really common for us, and we do it every day, all the day, all the time. Jesus, what do you want me to know? Am I maturing? Do I look more like Jesus today than I did a year ago? That's a good question. Am I living a life worth imitating? Because in our discipleship journey, there's levels of growth, just like there are in just being human. We start out as infants and toddlers, and we're takers. Everything is about me. I need this. I need that. I need it now. Well, no, you really don't need a Reese's peanut butter cup right now. But, you know, that's what the kid, that's what a toddler would say. I want that now. You're probably coming to this stage where 
Gracie, in that two-year-old stage with any child, my kids too, they just were like, I want that now, and they don't, you know, they don't have an understanding of their surroundings. And we, we start there as infants in the Lord too, of like, what does this mean for me, and what about me? And sometimes, and I'll tell the school of ministry students, sometimes it needs to be about you so that it's not about you. Sometimes the Lord will put us in a season where we need to be going, Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want me to do? How, are, how am I doing? Are you pleased with what I'm doing? See, all that is internal, and you're looking at it, and you're, you're you know, letting him speak into your life on a personal level. And sometimes those seasons are kind of tense, and they're kind of heavy, and sometimes it needs to be about you so that it's not about you, so that it's not a so that we can keep moving on. So like when you're a young adult, they give and take. Scott and I have four young adults. Three of them are kind of living at home. So I'm not sure really if they're living at home or not. Their stuff is there. <laughs> and then they're there to help out when we need a ride, when, they, when trash needs to be taken out, when the dishes need to be done. And they give and take. It's a little bit of both. And then we can move into parent in, a, in our spiritual journey. We can move into a place where we're parenting and we're, and we're mentoring and being a spiritual mother or father to someone younger than us. And then there's this great level of elder where you are so secure in who you are, and I'm not there yet. Uh, I don't think we'll ever 100% be completely secure. Maybe, I don't know the answer to that. Anyways, that's a distraction, uh, where you're an elder and your, your, your time is spent giving to the community, and you give freely, and you give cheerfully, and you're living in that place of the fruits of the Spirit, and joy, and self-control, um, and you're living in all of that, in that sweet place that allows you to walk freely, not be hindered, and deal with stuff as it comes, but not be hindered to the point where you're paralyzed or you can't walk. I think we're all in different places along that journey. And we need to ask the Lord, where am I and what do you want me to do about it? What's on your heart for me this time? When we look at Peter, Peter was with Jesus all the time, teaching him consistently. He was teaching him what to let go of. He was teaching him that he was living in the new covenant. 316 laws were in the old covenant. And the Pharisees thought they could keep them all. And then Jesus comes. And he says, you don't have to live like that. I give you a new covenant. We're going to take communion today. He gives us a new covenant. Love me. Love your neighbors. Follow me. Have we complicated it so much that we've lost the call of the simplicity of the call of Jesus. How amazing. I'm so grateful that I don't have to follow 316 laws. Some of them were weird. So I'm really grateful for that. And we watch Peter, who was steeped in those laws, and we watched Jesus work with him and start to fall, start, those laws start to fall off of Peter. We see it when Peter um, is with Jesus and explains the parable about what makes a man clean or unclean. It's not what you eat, it's what's in your heart. It's what comes out of your heart that matters. I mean, that's one of the laws, you know, right in the face Jesus addresses it. I just love Jesus. He's so bold. 
He says, no, it's not about that. It's about your heart. And Peter learns that his heart posture is more important than that rule. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he learns, he learns what faith can do because he steps out. I don't know if he gets out like, you know, woohoo, I'm going, or if he's like, oh, okay. You know, I don't know. But he gets out and he walks, and then he learns what doubt does. It made him sink. So he learns about doubt and how to get rid of doubt, or that getting rid of doubt is helpful. Peter was invited to the mountaintop and he witnessed the transfiguration. Can you imagine? Can't imagine what that would have been like. And what does Peter want to do? He wants to build a tent. He wants to stay there. Here's what he learns. You can't stay there. It's a great place to be. It's a great season to be in. But the valleys come and it's a learning. It's where the Lord will discipline us in, in a grace-filled way, not in a, I don't know your view of God, but it's not in this, you bad person, you, it's this grace-filled, come on, I have more for you. I have more for you. Come into the valley with me, because I have more for you. Peter asks, <laughs> how many times must I forgive my brother? I would have been embarrassed to ask that. Have you ever asked anything, and you're like, oh, shoot, I just kind of outed myself. I should, probably shouldn't have asked that. And Peter learns to give up any right, any right to hold on to judgment or bitterness. Gives it up. Got to let go of that rule. You're not the judge. In Matthew 19, Peter says to Jesus, Oh, Peter, we've left everything to follow you in it. Follow you. What's in it for us? And Peter learns self-motivation Get rid of it. It's a bad rule. Identify it and do something about it. Self-motivation, get rid of it. Give up motives that are self-serving. And at Gethsemane, where Jesus laments before his father, Peter learns the depth of emotion. He watches. It is modeled for him what it means to have deep grief and sorrow, the scriptures say, Jesus was experiencing. And Jesus was experiencing emotion. Emotion is real. Uh, my intern supervisor and good friend and pastor, Eric Bloom, he used to tell me when, I was, when we would meet once a week for my internship, he would say, I have emotions, but they're on a leash. Because I would, I would, I would get an emotion or I would get triggered by something and you know, somebody had an issue with the cookies and, and it was a big deal for... The, for this person because we were changing the cookies and I'm in Eric's office and I'm like are we really having a conversation about the cookies and my trigger my reaction was this is what I would do this is I feel like I'm in grace here <laughs> I would I actually said this to Eric I said well let's just get rid of the cookies nobody can have any cookies if they're going to argue about the cookies and how big they are and where they're going to be and who's going to put them out forget it nobody's having cookies and that's where Eric says, I have emotions, but they're on a leash. <laughs> Just a great coach, Eric Bloom. Peter learns this when he watches Jesus in his emotion at Gethsemane. And he learns how to respond to them. And he learns to how to give up, I would think, he would learn, how to give up unhealthy reactions. 
How are we responding? And are we responding instead of reacting? And within the moments of denying Jesus three times, Peter follows Jesus to the courts. People see him there and they say, weren't you with the man? Weren't you with Jesus who calls himself the Messiah? And Peter says, no. And again it happens and Peter says no. And again it happens and Peter says no. Really hard lesson I think Peter may have learned there is that he will fail. We will fail. And one of the rules we have to get rid of, if we have it, is perfectionism. We're not going to... We can't live a life without missing the mark. But what are we going to do with... How are we going to respond to each other when we do? When I miss the mark, is Brendan going to have grace for me? Yeah, I think so. Because I sure give him a lot of grace. So... Ooh, that was good. <laughs> All of these things Peter encountered and learned, learned from helped him to be free. It helped him to be able to do the walking he needed to do to follow Jesus and to do it unhindered, unhindered and boldly. It's just such a great, great story. So here's a question I want us to reflect on. What hinders us? What hinders us from walking and following Jesus? What what hinders us from stepping out of the boat? What hinders us from, from listening to that small voice that says, this is who I want you to be? And we start rattling off our list of why we can't. What is that? Is it that we don't know the way? Is it doubt? Not wanting to tend to matters of the heart? Expectations, unhealthy desires? Judgment and bitterness? All these examples we see in Peter's life. Self-serving motives, being reactionary rather than healthy. Hey, are you listening with your heart? Does any of these feel true to you? Don't you don't have to raise your hand. But just listen with your heart. Do any of them feel true? Perfectionism. Fear. Does fear stop you? Does it stop me? Absolutely. Pain. Unresolved pain. What is it? It may be something else that's not listed here. It could be complacency. When we grow content and the Lord says, I want more for you, there's, there's, there's one thing about being content and, and filled with his joy and love. I think that we could, we're always striving for that place, aren't we, for contentment, holy contentment. And then when the Lord calls and says, I have more for you, do we say, no, no, thanks, I'm good. I got it all. I'm happy. I don't need anything else. I'm a member of the church, and I love my family, and that's good enough for me. If we're happy with mere membership, our vision's not big enough. Discipleship is on the horizon for us, and are we willing to step into that? We're members of all kinds of things, and for different reasons. A lot of times, me too, even coming to this position, I had to wrestle with what's in it for me. And what are we going to do when the Lord shows us that <laughs> and says, you know what you're asking? You're asking what's in it for you when it's not about that. It's about following me. Have I called you? And I'm so glad I'm here. I even hesitate to even say that, but that's just a personal 
wrestle sometimes we have about, is it going to be okay for me? Is it going to be safe for me? Figgies are probably asking that question about going to Colorado. Who are going to be my friends? Who's going to be my church? They're great questions to ask. You don't not ask them, but your response in the middle of it is, we're going anyway, because God called us to go. So can our chickens walk? <laughs> what is cluttering our lives so we're unable, that maybe make us, us unable to walk? What do we have to throw off that hinders us? Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, I had it earlier, since, there we go, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and all the sin that entangles us and run the race of perseverance. I wonder if the Lord is asking us at Bridgewood to look at this. Is there anything that's hindering us from, from that walk and from going forward and from following Jesus? The rest of Peter's story is just beautiful. John 21, there, the resurrected Jesus meets them on the beach, and Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And Jesus says again, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do. And Jesus asks again. You know, he'll do that. He'll keep asking us the same thing if we don't listen or if we ignore him or don't pay attention. I love that about him, and it frustrates me to crazy places. But do you love me? And Peter is frustrated. He's like, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. Why do you think Jesus was doing that? Do you think Jesus was insecure and needed to know that Peter loved him? I think Jesus needed Peter to know that Peter loved Jesus. So do you know that you love Jesus? Last week's message, what a challenge. What a challenge for us. It was such a challenge for me too of do I really believe in my heart, not here, but in my heart, that I love Jesus and that I want to be with him? Are there areas where I don't want to be with him? Are there areas where a little afraid of mighty might say, I don't think I'm going to ask Jesus that today because I don't know, I really don't want to know what he has to say. And we go about our day. I've done it. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna ask Jesus that today. The importance of knowing how much God loves us is just so key. And like I said earlier, we could spend our whole lives working on that, just knowing how much God loves us. Thank you, Joni, for nodding. <laughs> In 2000, I said eight last year or last season or <laughs> last service it was 2010 I was at a conference out in Southern California and uh, it was the Alliance of Renewal Churches conference and we were doing some worship on a Saturday night and there was a moment where a person uh, a friend of ours Joe Johnson he was up front and he was he was praying and he said come Holy Spirit well the Holy Spirit's always with us but I think when we say, come Holy Spirit, then we're talking, you know, let's posture ourselves to receive that who, he who is always with us, the Holy Spirit. So he said that, and I let my heart open just a, just a hair. And I began to realize that the Lord was about to do something. And when the Lord's about to do something in my life, ladies, that when you were at this uh, Carol's getaway, you heard this, so sorry for a repeat, but when the Lord's about to do something, I, 
I kind of dig my heels in a little bit because I don't know what he's going to do and I'm not sure if I'm going to like it. And so I started digging my heels in and clenching my fists and I'm like, not here, Lord, not in front of everybody, not in front of this whole group. And the more I did that, the more I could feel my body stiffen and my teeth were clenching and I'm like, oh no, not here. And the Lord's, my heart started pattering and when the Lord is on us sometimes it comes in different ways for me my heart beats a little bit faster and I get a little you know I don't know anxious isn't the right word I'm just aware of something going on and but I was fighting it the best way I can explain it is my flesh was saying no and the spirit was saying yes and finally I just was like a friend of mine Robert was in front of me and he turns around he goes what's going on Sharon and I screamed I was like, oh, shoot. Darn it. <laughs> and I did. I went, <laughs> And fell to my knees. And the best way, looking back at it now, the best way I can describe it is my flesh surrendered. So now I'm on the ground, and I'm crying. And I don't know why I'm crying. I don't know what the Lord is doing. And I'm frustrated. I'm irritated with him and allowing it. I mean, all these different emotions. Are, I mean, irritated with him and allowing the Lord to do what he wants to do all in the same moment. And so, <coughs> excuse me. So Robert is like down on the floor with me, and good friend, that's a good friend, by the way, if you have a friend who get on the floor with you when you're crying and crying out to the Lord. And he says, what is it, Sharon? What is it? What, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm mad. And all of a sudden, the thought dropped into my heart, into my mind. You know, I don't know how the Lord speaks to you. Sometimes it's a thought. Sometimes it's a sense. However that is, get in tune with that. Get in touch with that. And I, I, I said out loud, I said, I can't have all his love. And Robert goes, what do you mean? And I said, I can only have a little bit of it. I'm not worthy of all his love. Now, to save a little bit of faith, I did make some progress because several years before that, I probably didn't think I could have any. So at least here I could have a little bit. So I'm making progress. I'm growing up. I'm getting more closer to that parenting stage. And I said, I can't have all of it. And Robert prayed with me and said, well, what, Lord, what do you want to say about that? And I had a vision, and Jesus was sitting up on the throne, and he was going like this. And he was going like this. And he wasn't directing an airplane. And he said to the angels, he was commanding the angels, and he wasn't speaking, but I knew in my spirit that he was commanding the angels. And the angels were on the sides that he was pointing to, like, keep going, keep going. And they were pouring out these big, huge barrels of liquid gold. It was his love. And then I saw myself, and I was standing underneath the waterfall of his love, and I was just taking it in. My spirit calmed, and I just let this happen, and I let myself receive what the Lord had for me. And then Jesus came down, off of his throne, I saw him come down off of his throne, and he comes up to me, Sue, can I use you for a second? And he goes like this to me, and he grabs my face. And I was looking away, because you know when you look away, or you try to hide, 
there's usually some shame of some sort involved. And he looked at me and he turned, I looked away and he turned his face back at me and he looked straight in my eyes. And he said, it will never end. My love for you will never end. And when I'm having a hard day, I can go back there like that and sit under that waterfall with the Lord saying, it will never end. It will never end. It will never end for you guys. Look at Peter. It never ended. After Peter's call to follow Jesus started with follow me and Jesus ends it after the breakfast he says and after the three statements do you love me what does Jesus say he says follow me it's that simple love me and follow me and my heart in this emotion is that we would be completely unhindered in following Jesus that we would let go of anything that's stopping us from being all that he's called us to be. We see it in Peter's life that everything that he was throwing off was all about rules and regulations that he probably put on himself. Some of it was the law. Some of it was his own stuff. Sometimes it needs to be about you so that it's not about you. And if you're in a season that it needs to be about you, that's okay. Let it be. Bring others around you. Talk to other people and say, you know what, I think God identified this in my life. How do I, what do I do with it now that I've identified it? Get around mentors and elders and people who've walked through things before and let them, let them help you. Let them walk alongside you because the good news is his love will never end. Even when we fail, look at how many times Peter fell flat on his face. Poor Peter. Poor Peter. He always gets that from us, how much he fails. But when you look at what what he goes on to do in Acts, I mean, he is a preacher of the gospel and a bringer of the good news and a witness and a testimony to all that Jesus is, all that Jesus does. And we've got that same thing in us to be a witness to all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does so that other people can walk in that freedom and know how to love and know how to follow and so on and so on and so on. And we raise them up. They learn how to love. They learn how to follow. Then they raise, then they go some, I mean, it's, it's a divine design, isn't it? The Lord designed it that way. He designed discipleship that way. He designed community that way. Mission, prayer, all the things that we're talking about and focusing about focusing on is God's divine design. So simplified. Can our chickens walk? Is there anything that's hindering us from being free? I think there's such a call here. Call here at Bridgewood and a call to the larger church. Man, we need to be ready and we need to be armed and we need to be in that sweet place of knowing we're loved and knowing our purpose. It, it will strengthen us and, and mobilize the church. So let's simplify the journey. Let's be a church that's known. Let's be Bridgewood, a church for, known for loving Jesus and following him. It's the fundamental call of a disciple. We're called to love and we're called to follow. I want to do one prayer thing 
before we go into communion. If you want to come with, that would be great. I'd like us to just ask the Lord right in this moment if he wants to identify anything in our lives, and maybe not. Maybe there's, there's not, and that's okay too. There doesn't always have to be something. That's why we're always asking, always in this interactive relationship with the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Just thank you. Uh, thank you for your love that never ends. Thank you for your grace as we learn what it looks like to follow you. Thank you for the capacity you give us to come to you. Lord, if there's somebody in here that's afraid, I pray that you would show them what you want to do about their fear. Is there anything hindering us, Lord? Anything that you want us to know? Is there anything we need to learn? I'm going to ask this question and just listen. Jesus, what do you want to show me? Some of you may have had him say something to you. Others, it might come at another time. But what, no matter what, don't ever stop going to the Lord and asking him, what do you want me to know? Thank you, Lord, for uh, an interactive, living relationship with you. you know, as we go into offering and go into communion, we just... thank you for your love. It was your love that drove you to the cross. We thank you for that. We ask that you would bless our tithes and offerings, that you would multiply them to do your work, Lord, so that people would know that they know how much they're loved and that they have a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.